Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 63 days until the most important election of our lives. Together, we will win all the houses. Joining us today is Daily Beast editor-at-large and co-host of the podcast, The New Abnormal, Molly Jong-Fast. She joins us to run down the week, talk about the misinformation on social media, and how we can fight back against Trump's stupid lies. And then we have another installment of The Ryan Report. Swing Left's political director Ryan Quinn talks about the state of the presidential race and what the effect the conventions had, or lack thereof. I'm Steve Pearson, and this is How We Win. Hey, Molly, thank you so much for jumping in and doing this. I really appreciate it. No, I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled. Uh, how are you doing? How has your, your week been? Um, it's been a long week, even though somehow it's only Tuesday. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a long, well, the RNC was exhaust, emotionally exhausting. And then Trump yeah. was just completely nuts this weekend. So, and since he kind of drives all the news cycles, yeah, uh, it was, you know, emotionally exhausting, but um, you know, otherwise it was fine. <laughs> Exciting no, though, to know that, that maybe were the dark shadowy figures that are controlling yeah. everything. Is that us? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have, uh, Antifa planes and we fly around to different places. I don't know. I, that was like listening to that. I mean, the thing about Trump that I was, that I have been thinking about a lot lately is that a lot of the times he shops things that are so stupid mm. that smart people in media or even stupid people in media just discount them as so stupid that they can't, they don't want to deal with it because it's just too dumb. But the problem is that Trump is, he his people like it. His people believe it. They go along with it. So... In, so in the end, you find yourself with these people who believe stuff, which, which of course is preposterous. But I think the media hasn't done a good enough job of debunking things that because they thought they were just too silly to debunk. Yeah, that's a a, a great point, and it kind of sends me down a wormhole that I hope is not too long. But in high school debate. I, I, you define the terms of, de, of a debate when you're in a debate. The affirmative uh, has the, the duty to define those terms. So I remember being in a competition, and the affirmative uh, defined revolt as throwing up. And it was in relation to a Thomas Jefferson quote, a little revolt every now and then is a good thing. And so I was the negative, and I prepared all of these arguments um, from history about, you know, wars and revolts and rebellion that led to bloodshed and all of that. And they talked about throwing up and getting bad bacteria out of their stomach. And it was such a preposterous argument that I never even addressed it, and I lost the debate. And the moderator said, if you had just talked about it once to negate it, then I would have given it to you because it was ridiculous, but you didn't accept the uh, the terms. And that's kind of a, a, a wormhole, but you know, 
it's such a balance because you don't want to give credence to Trump's preposterous, craven language, but you and and negating something too much gives it more energy, also. But you do have to address it because there's people who are listening to it and and are, you know, maybe buying this. This I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just very strange, and I think that the question is, I think we have to ask ourselves, like. Why aren't we better at addressing misinformation? And I don't know the answer, you know? Yeah, I wish I did. I wish more people had that answer. Um, And speaking of disinformation, there was just reporting from the New York Times. I'll read the, the beginning. The Russian group that interfered in the 2016 presidential election is at it again, using a network of fake accounts and a website set up to look like a left-wing news site, Facebook said on Tuesday. The disinformation campaign by the group known as the Internet Research Agency, everyone remember them from from last cycle? Exactly. Is the first public evidence that the agency is attempting to repeat its efforts from four years ago and push voters away from the Democratic presidential candidate. Top of that, we get no briefings on this stuff now, right? Right. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. Um, and that it's a lot of stuff that it seems really sketchy, right? Like there's the continued fuckery with the post office, right? <laughs> Trump right. had, they put in this board, you know, which it turns out involves Mnuchin, you know, a board of directors, the head of the UB, the uh, post office board of directors is the chair of a Mitch McConnell super PAC. Right. And they installed a Who knew Mitch McConnell general. was involved there? So that, I didn't yeah, see that one coming. Yeah, it's a shock. <laughs> who, who, who could have seen who that Who could have guessed it? Yeah. I, I was surprised at how, you know, they started in on the mail. Mm-hmm. to, And then they went to the not having the briefings. And the excuse they used was that there were leaks that Congress people were leaking. Right. Which... Of course, when you're using when you're doing print briefings, of course you'd have late. I mean, it's just preposterous and it's really nefarious. And it's also like a question of can are we going to be able to trust our election? Now, we know Trump world is cheating in every possible way they can. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've for long felt that Nancy Pelosi should impeach Bill Barr. Oh, yeah. Because Bill Barr is terrifying and. Even though I think he's quite nutty, like Trump, he is very good at pretending to be normal in a way that Trump is not. So he's actually, and he's and he has education, and he has had this job before. So he is really much scarier. And I, and I think any way in which Republicans can cheat, we have to assume they will cheat. That's absolutely correct. Um, I actually asked Adam Schiff on our show if. Uh, Bill Barr should be impeached or if he's committed impeachable offenses. And um, he said he thought he did, but that this close to the election, there just wasn't the the on-ramp, I guess, for, to, to do it, um, which is unfortunate. And you're right, Bill Barr seems normal, I guess, compared to Trump, although uh, he's I want to play poker with him because he is the worst liar. Have you seen his like eye flutter thing he does when he's asked a direct question? He does like his body language is off the charts. Not that I'm a great poker player, but yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting and I think it's interesting and strange that we're in this situation where we are, I mean, basically these Democrats who are in office, we desperately need them 
to do everything they can to fight, fight, fight for democracy. I mean, I feel very worried. You know, I'm worried. Trump rules will cheat. They will do anything they can for Trump to keep office. The polls seem pretty conclusive, at least now, right now, mm-hmm. that Biden is a, is a really good candidate and that he, if we're allowed to have free and fair elections, will win. But I'm not sure we're going to have free and fair elections. And I don't think you can count on that, especially in Trump's America. So we need all of our Democratic electeds to really make a stink like you can't believe. Like the thing that worked at the post office, and it didn't work because we still haven't, he still won't put in the mail sorting machines. We need all of the American heroes, like the whistleblowers and the people who, I mean, we had Miles Taylor on the podcast the other day who worked for in in Trump administration, mm-hmm. you know, we've had these people come out. We need all of those people to come out right now because this is not about like policy and this is not about like who you like better or who you want to have a beer with. This is really about the fundamentals of our democracy because we're, things are not going to be better with another four years of Trump. It's going to be more corruption and more crony capitalism. And maybe we come back from this or maybe like Hungary, we don't. Yeah, that's. That's really well said, and um, and a stark warning uh, for all of us that, and I say this on on our show all the time, like polls are good indicators, but I just don't like relying on them because they don't take into account the cheating, the disenfranchisement, right. the voter suppression, the Russian, uh, you know, oh yeah, re- internet research ag- agency creating fake accounts, all that stuff, you know, does and- not go into the polls. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Rick always says, like, because he's from Florida and he's involved in the Republican Party. And he says, like, Biden needs to be up by 10 or 11 in order to win Florida because of all the fuckery. So think about that. Right. So that's a state that's a swing state where Republicans, we already know Republicans are cheating so much that. I mean, so that's what's scary about our democracy, right, is that we have this democracy, but we don't really have this democracy. And we are in this authoritarian slide. And I have never been a person who was like particularly obsessed with authoritarianism or Mm. the belief that Trump was it because Trump is so stupid. But you can see it happening like you can see. And um, that's really scary. So I'm actually quite stressed out. <laughs> and and honestly, if Biden wins, I still really won't relax until Trump is out of that White House. Yeah, of course. Um, well, like we say, action is the best antidote to anxiety. So let's try to alleviate a little bit of your stress and, and talk about <laughs> what our role is in this. And we know we have a lot to overcome. We have a lot to overcome. So, a lot. Um, you know, we have to keep our foot on the gas. We have to make those phone calls, write letters. But you also, you know, let's keep putting pressure, as you said, on our elected officials to do what they need to do. So keep the phone calls going mm-hmm. uh, to Congress. Um, let them know how unhappy you are with Bill yes. Barr as our attorney general. Yeah, you know? the Senate, Congress. I mean, I agree. And also like the sh- Senate. I mean, the thing that I am so struck by is the Senate is on vacation, right? Like. The unemployment has expired, right? Like they didn't do their job. They didn't meet their deadline, but they went on vacation anyway. 
Yeah, Mitch McConnell has the Heroes Act sitting on his desk, which would right. um, you know fund the post office, fund the post office, um, support election integrity, and create um, aid to a lot of people who are suffering right now because of this virus. And yeah, and he chooses not to take that up. Right, um, exactly. So we need to take back the Senate. We need to keep working. Um, and and I just want to say, there's like social media. First of all, you rule at social media. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't grab a news item and comment on it before you have so i just retweet you all the time that's just what i'm just basically a molly retweeter if that's a thing (laughs) oh thank you i don't even know how you have the time to do it (laughs) I, i mean i'm just very adhd and and Rick is too. So when we're doing the pod, our about Rick Wilson, who is your co-host yeah. on the podcast, yeah, yeah. And our producer will be like, "I see you tweeting during the main segment of the podcast. Stop tweeting during the main segment of the podcast." He's like, "If you want to tweet during the interviews, <laughs> that's okay." okay. Full honesty. Yes. How many times have you tweeted since we've been talking? I I think I only tweeted once. Wow. I, I'm honored. I've been, it's been an engaging or, conversation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's really bad. And it's really bad for me. Um, you know, I have very bad ADHD. So <laughs> I do have trouble like focusing. And, um, and the thing is, I was a little bit better before we went into like this semi-permanent lockdown and now i just have like completely all screen time controls are out the window (laughs) and we're just full on like id you know television in the middle of the day everything so it's a little bit different yeah well my my point uh there beyond you know how awesome you are at the social medias um is social media is a really dark, scary place right now for good reason because there's a lot of horrible stuff going on. But I just want to offer up to our listeners and people what I'm seeing on the ground is actually very encouraging. And I'm not just talking about polls and I'm not just talking about fundraising, which is really encouraging. Biden just had a huge haul and, yeah. and we've had you know huge fundraising numbers for our down ballot candidates and everything. But the volunteer engagement right now is enormous it is like we start to see a ramp up in volunteer engagement usually next month like in october is where uh it really starts getting crazy and we're seeing that around the convention even before that we're writing tons of letters phone banks are going crazy there is a big volunteer party going on right now that we want everyone to join into and it's important that people know that because the gloom and doom and fear that we see on social media that's the GOP's way that they win. That's how they suppress the vote. That's how they suppress volunteers from showing up is by thinking that we're doomed and it's dark and all that. So I just want people to know that what you're seeing on social media does not reflect uh, what we're seeing on the ground with volunteers right now. I would say that to people, my biggest social media want for you guys would be mm-hmm. to go on Facebook and start posting liberal stuff on Facebook. One of the many ways in which I feel that the liberals have gone wrong is by abandoning Facebook. Facebook, it feeds on content and interaction. Mm. So deleting Facebook leaves Ben Shapiro and Diamond and Silk Facebook. Whereas if liberals go on Facebook, they can post content and change the algorithm. And so I'm very big believer in that um, social media can be used for liberal causes. 
but liberals have to do it. So, I mean, the whole idea that we go high, we don't go high. <laughs> we need to meet these Republicans where they are. And so, and that means we need to debunk a lot of the crazy stuff they say. And the idea that we won't, you know, that things are so preposterous that we won't bother to to respond to them is really how we got here. So that is why um, I'm a really big fan of Democrats doing everything they can to really try to, you know, hit Republicans back on in all the places, on all the venues. It's a really uh, interesting discussion uh, that we should dive into in more detail another time. But that balance of like, where do you um, engage and where do you not engage? And uh, I agree, Facebook is a place we need to because we know yeah. and I saw I'm not sure where I saw this from. Maybe you, you saw it too and know where it came from. But there was a breakdown on news sources and where people actually get their news. And right. still like 55% of people get their news from Facebook. You know, oh, that, yeah. It's a massive yeah. number. So if we're not putting the truth out there, if we're not sharing, oh, I don't know, um, Molly Jong Fast's article in Vogue magazine, for instance. Right. You know. Exactly. No, but normal, <laughs> normal newsy stuff, then they're getting like Gateway Pundit and all of the sort of scary, like nine, you know, breaking news, 911, all of these like pro-Trumpy news sites that aren't real. And so I do think we do have this moral responsibility, especially when it comes to Facebook. I mean, part of why Facebook is so toxic is because Mark Zuckerberg and the people at the top. But part of why Facebook is so toxic is because we've abandoned it. And so I do think there's a reason why Twitter is more liberal, and that's because there are more liberals on it. Interesting. Really good point. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way. Thank you for that. Um, I, I want to about this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So I want to talk about reasons for hope, but really quick before we get into our reasons for hope, um, tell us about your podcast, The New Abnormal, and how's that going, and what can people expect when they listen to it? Um, I so we're having a really good time. It's really fun. We really, really have fun. And we talk to a lot of different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting just to talk to people about what they know and what they're interested in. Uh, we had a pod this morning with Ike Barinholtz, who's in The Oath, mm -hmm. and The Mindy Project, and Eastbound and Down. He's a really funny actor. <laughs> and he's great. And we have Stelter and Ben Rhodes, mm -hmm. and we have actually this very exciting Senate candidate for Alaska, mm. Dr. Al Gross. Yeah. And um, he is like now tied with the Republican. So, that, I mean, there are some really like Trumpism is terrifying and Trump is terrible and deranged. That said, Democrats could take the Senate, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like Tom Tillis is could be, you know, Cal Cunningham could beat Tom Tillis. Yes. Uh, um, Sarah Gideon could could uh, beat Susan Collins. Jamie Harrison could beat Lindsey Graham. I mean, that was a a red seat. It's now, I think it's now leans blue or toss up. I mean, we're really seeing like an, this is an incredible Senate for Democrats. And so if you're listening to this and you really want something to do, pick a Democratic Senate seat, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer and donate money because those or just volunteer. And because those um, 
there's Senate races, like even if Trump, God forbid, wins, which let us pray he won't. um, If Democrats take the Senate, he can't do anything. You know, he really can't do anything. And he's going to have a miserable four years. So that is really cool. And and I've read other statistics from from 2016 that that have said that maybe one of the reasons why Trump won was because he had this very impressive, I mean, relatively speaking, bench of Republican senators who actually helped him. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And yes, a million times the Senate, you know, we have a great opportunity to do that. And I, I fantasize about actually getting Trump out of the White House, taking back the Senate, re- holding on to our House majority, and mm. all the great legislation that we're actually going to be able to pass, the good things that we're going to be able to do for people. And um, that's, that's my happy place. Um, <laughs> Me too. And also, it, uh, you know, when you talk about the senators that helped Trump win election, I always like to remind people that Trump got less votes than Mitt Romney did. Um, right. It's not like Trump had this huge new groundswell of support. It was really people not showing up that elected Donald Trump. So our work is to make sure that everyone shows up and votes. Um, and we have a lot to overcome, as we said earlier. So we have to do that in a big way. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I and I think it, this is the most important election of our lifetime for now anyway. And we're lucky because we have exciting, you know, I wasn't a Joe Biden. Uh, originally, Joe Biden was not my first choice, but mm-hmm. he's done really well. Like yeah. I, he has done really well. His speeches have been really good. He has been so strong and he has really like said, Trump is not going to bully me. Uh, Bernie has delivered for the Democratic Party in a way that I think is really impressive. He has and all of the other Democrats have really just absolutely done everything they could do. I was just blown away by that. And Kamala is absolutely one of the most breathtaking politicians I have seen. I mean, her speeches are. Yeah. And she's litigating the case against Donald Trump. I think she's been phenomenal. So it's an even though like we, you know, perhaps some of these people weren't your first choice. They're really good. I mean, they're really, really good. And we have really smart, accomplished people on the Democratic side. And then we have Trump and Mike Pence on the Republican side. So I'm it seems like a no brainer, like, you know, (laughs) but then again, you know, there are people who do define revolt as vomiting. So, um, yeah, we had to overcome that. That's no, what we call really a callback. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> that's very good. So, uh, thank you so much. Um, all right, so let's quickly—we've uh, got some calls to action for people to get to. But uh, what's your reason for hope this week? Um, I my reason for hope is um, is the Democratic Party is really great Senate candidates like mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Harrison and. Yeah. MJ Hager in Texas. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of really impressive Democratic candidates. And I'm extremely excited uh, to see where this goes. You know, I think that we're going to have a Democratic Senate. At least I I pray. You have hope. Yes, I do, too. I do, too. And it's going to take all of us working to do that. But I think I, I really do believe we can do it. My reason for hope is um, sports teams are my reason for hope because we've had a very 
dark few weeks, of course, surrounding some more shootings and the GOP and the convention just made it all the more darker. And we've had these sports teams, starting with the NBA players who got in a fight with Kelly Loeffler, speaking of vulnerable uh, senators, oh, yeah. who co-owns uh, an, a WNBA team because she's they were really highlighting... The she's the worst. And she's the worst. <laughs> she is. And they were highlighting Black Lives Matter. Um, she did not like that, so they all wore Vote Warnock uh, shirts that made her spontaneously combust. Yeah. Um, and then the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, walked off their playoff games, fought and then were followed suit by other NBA teams and players who had to shut down the playoffs for a while. That cascaded into the Baltimore Ravens uh, tweeting out a series of racial justice policy demands, which you never see coming from the NFL. And uh, soccer and baseball and even hockey has you know done a massive show of solidarity for racial justice and Black Lives Matter. This is a really big deal because pro sports teams are famously risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And anything that a team or league is doing is happening because their players took collective action to force it. And so hats off to the players. It gives me a lot of hope to see people organizing on the side of, of justice and racial justice. Yeah. No, there, ha- there have been some really incredible – I mean LeBron is a great example too. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of really, really, really – amazing athletes who have done incredible stuff for social justice. Um, I do think that um, that is a good thing to be helpful. And Loeffler is just a complete clown. I mean, she, you know, she is an, she's an appointed Senator who involved herself in insider trading when she learned about the pandemic instead of doing the right thing and, you know, helping her people, she helped her portfolio. And then you have also um, another appointed GOP senator who's just an absolute unequivocal disaster is Martha McSally, Mm. who is like, you know, veep level incompetence without the humor and who one of her most recent bills she wanted to pass was an idea to get people traveling during the pandemic. (laughs) I mean, so I didn't hear about that bill. Oh, yeah. The two of them are just like the frickin pack of stupid. And, um, you know, there's a we have a good chance of of replacing Martha McSally with um, uh, Gabby Gifford's incredible husband, husband, Mark Kelly. And he's a great candidate. And he's a he's a former, you know, army guy former astronaut, astronaut and really, yeah. really smart. So um, I would, that would be another person that gives me hope. Excellent. Yeah. So here's our to-do list really quick. And uh, this has been so awesome. I, you know, I wish we could talk forever, but you're, you have to get back to Twitter, I know. So <laughs> very busy. <laughs> right. Um, so this week's to-do list for all the guys listening. First of all, tonight we have a letter writing party with Gaslit Nation host Andrea Chalupa. So I'll oh, be there. Yeah. Do you know Andrea? Yes. Yeah, I she's she yeah. is awesome. We love her too. We're writing letters to voters and we're going to, you know, talk about um, a lot of scary stuff and what you can do about it. So uh, the link will be up on our page. Make sure you sign up for that if you haven't already. And then uh, it's phone banking time. It's We really need to start leaning into phone banking. And I know that... Um, 
people sometimes don't like calling strangers and having those com- conversations on the phone. But because of the pandemic, because we're not able to go canvassing, this is really the only way we have to have conversations one-on-one with voters. So um, you know, start kind of dipping your toe in the phone banking waters. Sign up. You know, Think about it like a weekly time to do it. You can go to swingleft.org slash phone bank. That's our phone banking hub. We'll also have that link up. And, uh, you know, join a local group uh, if you haven't done that or just join one of those phone banks and do it yourself. But phone banking time. You, do you like to phone bank in your spare uh, time? I don't think you want a phone call from me. <laughs> I do. Uh, I mean, no, you don't. You have a lot of good information to share with voters. Uh, um, <laughs> no. I mean, I do, but I'm not right on the phone. We all know? have our roles to play. Uh, in, yeah. In this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thrilled to to be here. It was really fun. Oh my gosh, thank you. It was so fun, and um, I hope we get the chance to to check in again before before all the craziness is over or starts. Or... Let's, let's pray. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Molly. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Ryan Quinn is back for another Ryan Report. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? I'm really good. So tell us what's going on in the political world. Yeah, so you may have seen on TV recently, um, both parties had their conventions. Yeah, I caught, um, the I DNC, caught some of that. Yeah, the DNC wrapped two weeks ago and the RNC was last week. In terms of you know coming out of the, the conventions, one thing to keep in mind um, as we have adapted to um, this hyperpolarized political environment is that conventions have had a you know a waning influence on the political environment as a whole right. for the last uh, couple of decades. You know, I think that the last time we really saw a series of conventions fundamentally change the the state of the race was in 1992 with you know a race uh, that had a third party in it that really um, changed the way that people had to campaign. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the role of conventions in shaping the race has been declining for a while. But what we're seeing for this convention is because of the decreased viewership amidst so much going on and amidst, uh, you know, the pandemic um, that is still ongoing, we're seeing less people tuning in. We're also seeing less people changing their minds because of the, the trends of partisan polarization over the last um, couple of decades. So, you know, what's important to to uh, pay attention to is not necessarily what bumps or lack thereof we might see after the conventions, but what is the overall state of the race, you know, and how has it not changed? Uh, it will be important to pay attention to. I think we're going to see a whole media cycle of people trying to read something into small changes in the electorate and, you know, the urge of people to make this into a competitive race. And, so yeah. far, what we have seen is, you know, a, a remarkably stable contest between someone, you know, two entities that, that voters know, Joe Biden uh, and Donald Trump. And, and I think that we haven't seen really any changes so far from those two uh, uh, national perspectives. So I, I think that it's going to be something to watch. It's going to be we're going to see the results of those conventions come out over the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, uh, I would make sure to take everything with a grain of salt. You know, we saw even in 2016, um, going back there, we saw, uh, you know, both secretary Clinton and then candidate Trump have, you know, uh, about three or four point bumps, um, in the polls after 
those conventions, but they essentially were gone by two, three weeks after. So, um, you know, it'll be an interesting uh, couple of weeks, but I would always stay wary of media narratives that convince you of, of something in the data that's not necessarily there. That's a great point and a great reminder for everyone. I appreciate it. Coming off of the RNC we and, and the violence that we've seen um, in the last week uh, and, you know, the GOP double downing on that, which we know is, is their way of, of suppressing the vote. It is a depressing time. And any of those little media seeds that are, you know, uh, sowing, you know, fear and, and, and doubt in the results of the election, you know, people are really hanging on to. And I... What I'm seeing on the ground um, and with our volunteers and the kind of energy we have is really, really positive. You can't take your foot off the gas. Like we have to go, you know, full speed ahead on this. And But I want people to know that they're joining a party here, that there's a lot of people who are jumping in and who are going to really take this thing over the finish line with yeah. us. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, it's to reiterate your point, you know, by no means are we saying that this uh, this election is over. By no means should we ever take our, our foot off the gas as we are racing into the you know the post Labor Day stretch. Now, um, I think that the important point um, is, like you said, knowing you're joining a party, knowing you're joining a uh, you know movement to electro Bidens that we are uh, proud to be strong behind. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks for giving us the update. Always enjoying the new Ryan Report segment. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll check back with you in a few weeks and uh, and see if everything has stayed steady or um, if we really should be um, setting our hair on fire. Sounds good, Steve. I'll talk <laughs> to you soon. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us. I'm at BluesBoySteve and Mariah, who is on maternity leave, but you can send her some congratulations on baby Jackson, is at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you to our friends at Dimcast. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast, and please share our show on social media. Remember, share that good stuff on there. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And of course, sign up right now to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday.